You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks are lower with the S&P 500 index down two points now at 2,086, a drop there of one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ is down eight to 48.35, a drop of two-tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials down 45, a drop of three-tenths of one percent. The tenure of eight 30 seconds at yield 1.67%. Gold down $5 the ounce to 12.67, a drop there of four tenths of 1%. And crude oil is down 1.5%, down 74 cents a barrel right now. West Texas Intermediate at $49.11. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you so very much. Time now for the ETF report brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City Realty investments. See them at nria.net. Let's turn now to our own Catherine Cowdery. The Obama administration is opening U.S. skies to more commercial drones with long-awaited regulations. The new rules are designed to allow routine use of small drones by real estate agents, farmers, filmmakers, and countless other commercial operators. One of the thematic ETFs that's launched this year focuses on drones. Andrew Chanin, chief executive of Pure Funds, on why his firm launched the iFly ETF. Drones is something that's they've been around, but now their uses are expanding rapidly due to technology and realization that they can be used for agriculture, to fight diseases, uh, for medical, um, uh, for, for dropping off medical supplies in remote areas. These are things that the uses as technology increases will be much more prevalent in our society. The Pure Funds Drone Economy Strategy ETF has $2.6 million in total assets and an expense ratio of 75 basis points. Its top holdings include Parrot, AeroVironment, Boeing, and GoPro. It's gained 4.9% over the past month. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Negative interest rates in the credit markets. U.S. Treasury, the 10-year yielding 1.67%. The 30-year is under 2.5%. What to do with your money? John Manley is the chief equity strategist at Wells Fargo Funds Management, helping to manage $245 billion, and he joins us here in the studio. John, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right, equity strategist. 
You're getting a lot of calls from people saying, I can't live on my bond income. Can you help me out with some equities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been going on for a while. I mean, what else are you going to do? I think it's it's the worst form of investment except for all the others when it comes to yield. And I think you can still buy pretty good – actually pretty high-quality companies with a decent yield and some chance for appreciation and dividend increase in the future. So it's not bad. So, yeah, I remember, was it year two? It all collapses in my head. But, you know, a year and a half ago, I guess, dividend payers, dividend payers, dividend payers. So everybody jumped in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so now some people would say it's still a good strategy, but maybe it's just a little more expensive to get in. Well, I think, you know, there are other fish to fry, too. I think one of the things that's happened for the last two years that's so amazing to me is that neither stocks nor earnings expectations have gone anywhere in the U.S. And I think that's helped the big companies as well as the yield play. I think earnings are starting to lift off a little bit. And if that happens, I think you could see more outperformance in the mid-cap sector. So I, I, I'm sort of agnostic when it comes to this sort of thing. I still think for myself, being an agent, baby when we're you know large caps are not a bad place to be aging you're not aging john manley i'm aged actually oh <laughs> it is. all right thanks thanks for setting us straight here all right so i in that context though uh is there a change in the way people view their investments and the reason i ask you is i want to get to the idea of liquidity mm-hmm. uh because at times of crisis or chaos, liquidity is at a premium, mm-hmm. but you don't know you've, you should have bought it previously, right? Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, but I like liquidity. I'm not so sure at real crisis moments it matters because if everybody's heading for the door, I don't know if you can make a door big enough. You've got to be outside uh, for it to work. But I think most times one of the things that I like about stock markets and mid to large cap stocks is you can be wrong and change your mind and get out. And I think that's incredibly important. The idea of being locked into an investment uh, when you know it's gone bad must be a sickening feeling. Yeah, for 30 years. Let's say you lend your money to the U.S. government for 30 years at 2.5%. You've got to find someone else. If rates go higher, you've got to find someone else that will take that off your hands. Well, you probably will find some. It depends how much you have to cut the price for them to come on board. And so I I think – one of the things about mid-caps that we're finding sort of interesting right now is they, they're sort of the honors class of small caps. They, they have some of the inefficiency of small caps, but they also have some of the liquidity of large caps. And I think that's, that, might be a, that might not be a bad combination if earnings start to do better. So what is the likelihood of earnings doing better? Well, they're starting to lift off a little bit. First of all, I, I don't believe the theory that they can't go higher. I, I know profitability levels are very high, but that's happened without a surge in the economy. Usually when the economy gets better, when the economy starts to be a bit more robust here and around the world, earnings pick up. I think that happens. I just think we come from higher levels this time because other things that are more secular in nature have boosted profits and profitability. So I think it can happen. All right. So you talk about mid-cap companies. How do you define mid-cap these days? You know, it's, I, I, I never am good with numbers, so I'll sort of dodge your question as best you're I can. You're in the wrong business <laughs> and you're not good with numbers. I'm, I'm the intuitive type. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, what, sometimes I think numbers give you a false sense of accuracy. I, I think they're, they're smaller than big and they're bigger than small, and uh, they, they sort of fit somewhere in the middle. So I don't have an absolute number. So this is not a mid-cap. This is. Well, if you uh, – are are not uh, wealthy, or if you are wealthy, what about diversification? If you if someone comes to you with ten million dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, even a hundred thousand dollars, and and not so much oh, older people do this, but younger people. I mean, how how would you tell them to diversify? Would you put ten uh, percent in emerging markets and 
60% in equities? And if so, what kind? I'm just curious. When you look at, mm-hmm. at the money, you're, the portfolios you're managing, the people you're advising, how do you figure that out? Well, I mean, it, it depends on them. They sort of have to answer the questions themselves. How much risk tolerance do they have? How much do they Well, care how about, about if they want to make a, as much money as they can and not lose any? Well, uh, <laughs> then, then, uh, I think I might buy them dinner and talk about it over that. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously those those are contradictory goals. You you, you have to take risks to make money, uh, and I think it's a question of balancing. I right now I would be overweight equities, probably with a tilt towards mid cap, and, and outside the U.S. I mean, probably with a tilt towards Europe because I think. Big Europe is getting better, uh, and I have to own some emerging markets. I do in my own account because I feel there's too much potential there. If there is such a thing as a compelling value, I think emerging markets are a compelling value, but you don't get compelled right away necessarily. Hey, John, I uh, wonder if you could comment uh, on the notion that more and more of the stock trading that goes on, the prices that we see, are influenced by high-frequency trading mm-hmm. and by daily moves in and out. That's a very different kind of world than investing your money. That certainly is, and it's not a world that I understand very well uh, or, or that I want to participate in. I understand it, but I don't necessarily want to participate in it. I sort of figure that these these trading operations create opportunities for people who are investors, and it requires you have a strong stomach and a, a sense that you have an idea of what's really going on. So – how do I describe it? I, I think to a degree that uh, the, the high-frequency trading may put a little vibration in the market from time to time. I don't think at the end of the week or the end of the month, and certainly not at the end of the year, it's going to make any difference to the way I'd want to invest my money, though. Uncertainty. Janet Yellen is uncertainty uh, uh, to, the, to a maximum degree. She's uncertain enough to say, you know, we'll maybe raise rates this year. Yeah. I think we will because I think the economy will pick up, but hey, I, I can't tell you. I just see the signs that it could and should, but I've seen signs that it might take longer. Right. Uh, well, you know, I think they, they call her data dependent or the Fed is data dependent. I, I think that's wonderful. I'm data dependent when I get on an airplane. I know it's supposed to land at three, but if it's half an hour late, I'm not going to insist on getting out over Scranton. It's as simple as that. I'll do it when I think it's safe. She'll raise rates when she thinks she can do it without adversely affecting the economy. So all my fellow equity strategists who think they know how many times she's going to do it, that's kind of an interesting trick since she doesn't know it herself. Pim, I'm going to use that metaphor. I love that, like sitting on a plane if the weather's not right, you don't take off. I think that's great for the Fed. Well, I thought also that John's not getting out over Schenectady. (laughs) I've done that. (laughs) Well, I hope you've done it uh, while the plane was on the ground. In that context, though, you can't wait for what the Federal Reserve is or isn't going to do if you're planning for your financial future or for the future of your business. So what do we know? I mean, we don't know how many times they're going to raise rates, but I think – to me, the real question is, is the Fed going to want to encourage or discourage economic growth in the next 12 to 18 months? And I think that's a much easier question. They're not going to try and discourage growth. If they try and encourage growth, and and they, that includes higher rates, it only includes higher rates if they think the economy can adjust to those higher rates. It will not hurt it. So the Fed, as far as I'm concerned, is still going to be pushing money towards the economy in the next year or so. That's at least a supportive factor for stocks. Pushing money towards the economy. In other words, they will not raise rates much, if at all, and they won't sell any bonds out of that big, big uh, portfolio of bonds. I can't see that in the next 12 months. I mean, it's possible, but we'd have a much stronger economy between now and then. I I think of it, the Fed's job is to maximize growth and 
and, and minimize inflation, which is sort of the conundrum you gave me earlier in the show. How do you do that? The answer is they try and regulate the economy. And all they can do, they can't make us buy things or not buy things, build or not build. All they can do is make the money seem cheap or expensive. Well, I, I think there's also this mini-max theory that the Fed, and Janet Yellen, is all, I think, has mentioned it. You minimize the worst you stay, you, mistake you could make. And probably for now, the Fed's worst mistake would be raising rates prematurely. John Manley. Taken off today here at Bloomberg Radio, Chief Equity Strategist, Wells Fargo Funds Management. He thinks earnings could pick up. The Fed's going to be some wind at the stock market's back, and those mid-caps look pretty darn good to him. Kathleen Hayes, Pim Fox, taking stock on Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.